The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent, including Olas Media. Olas Media. Olas Media presents Nation State of Play. Welcome to the Nation State of Play podcast. I'm your host, Brian Miller. On each episode, we explore the political stories that are driving public policy in California. We explore these stories with political insiders, business leaders, journalists, and policymakers themselves to get below the surface of the headlines and show you the true forces shaping our nation state. Thanks for listening today. We have a really interesting show. J.D. Hilzendager and Daniel Perry from the National Lifeline Association are our guests, and they're here to talk about a really important program that helps low-income folks across the state and across the country get the data access that they need to live in our modern world. Some really strange issues where this program's been held up at the CPUC here in California. It's preventing millions of people from getting federally approved subsidies that that they need to be able to live in the digital world. And so some strange issues. Um, We we talk about what the CPUC is doing, what Congress has done on this, what federal regulators are doing on this, and so just some ways at the end that you might be able to get involved and help if this issue is as concerning to you as it is to me. So thanks for listening today. National Lifeline Association coming up right after this. JD, Danielle, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Yeah, thank you so much for the time. So this is such an important topic. We've talked about access issues um, in a few different contexts before, but really excited to have you guys on because this program, the Lifeline program, but also the Affordable Connectivity Program impacts so many people across the country some particular issues here in California. So why don't we start with the Lifeline program? And can you give us a little bit of overview as to what the program is, how it was created, and where it currently stands? Sure, um, I can take that question. So the Lifeline program was started by Ronald Reagan, and it was started to provide a phone service to low-income Americans. And when he started the program, it was home phone service, and it provided a discount off of the subscriber's bill. And as you know, time has gone on and we have cellular service available, right around the time of Katrina, we really saw the need to expand the program into wireless. So today, the federal government subsidizes a program to allow consumers to have wireless or wireline service for that matter. But um, you provide voice, text, and four and a half gigs of data to the consumer each month. And where does that program live in the, in the federal agencies? It lives, it's managed by the FCC, so it's regulated by the FCC, and it's managed um, by the USAC, the Universal Service Administrative Company. So tell us a little bit about the issues you've been facing with the program to expand coverage, keep it funded. Where does this this debate get hung up in Washington? I'll uh, I'll, I'll start with a couple of things, and then, Danielle, there's going to be about 20 things I probably forget, because it's... uh, it's an interesting space. Um, you know, as she said, it started with Reagan and it's, it's a program that has enjoyed a great deal of bipartisan support over the years. Um, but we did find as, as many things happened in 2016 and beyond that things started becoming more polarized. And a lot of the pressure that we started 
uh, feeling in this program, uh, I would say, were ill effects of well-intentioned ideas. And we had a lot of uh, policies come out in 2016 that, um, uh, at the time, Chairman Tom Wheeler had said, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to modernize the program. And we believe data is the future for low-income and rural Americans, which we completely agree with. And he said, we're going to start instituting a stair-step uh, minimum service standard. And we want to make sure that customers get a certain amount of services every single month so that they can connect to the world like any other consumer would. So far, we're all on the same page. And we said, you know, to uh, make sure that we can keep the program solvent and make sure that companies can continue to offer it at a rate that keeps them in business so that the customers actually have a provider. Uh, we needed some type of protection that kept a customer in a certain amount of time, you know, to make sure the customers didn't flip or move benefits too often and would allow companies the, the chance to recoup some of their costs. Because a lot of times in the Lifeline program, it's not just providing service. You're providing a phone, you're paying distribution networks, your call centers, uh, your network operators. There's a lot of costs running a small telecom uh, to make sure that, that customer is getting service. And again, you're getting $9.25 in reimbursement. So there's not a lot of meat on that bone when you start getting into uh, high users. So uh, we were we were in support of it. But unfortunately, in 2016, when Chairman Pai came in, he, he said, I like the idea of minimum service standards. I don't like the idea, however, of a customer staying with a carrier for you know a set amount of time. And so he removed some of the protections that were built into the 2016 Modernization Act that allowed us to, to kind of forecast out what revenues would look like so that we could meet the minimum service standards on the basis that they were going to grow over the next you know four to six years. Uh, that took the industry over a four-year period from about 13 million subscribers to where it stands today, which is somewhere right around 7 million. And so it got harder and harder to service customers in a lot of places in the country and you saw a lot of rural areas that used to be able to rely on providers being there uh, no longer have service providers because the the cost became uh, far too great for a company to be able to absorb anymore. So there were a lot of cost pressures that hit the industry from 2016 to 2020 that made it very untenable for the industry to grow at that time. So where does that stand now in Washington? Have, have you been able to make any progress with regulators on... Uh, getting some of that ground back? So every year, the minimum service standards increase. So they started in 2016. And at that time, we were providing a small amount of voice and data on a consumer's cell phone. They started increasing each year, adding in the data requirement and increasing the amount of voice and text that we would provide. And every year, they continued to go up. And every year, the amount of the subsidy stayed the same. And every year, we lobbied and we said, we can't keep doing this. We, you know, we, There's not enough margin here. We're giving more. We're getting the same amount. Um, in addition, the, the part that JD mentioned about the subscriber being asked to stay with the provider for a certain amount of time is super important because what would happen is that, you know, we're not giving them a lot of data. The, the program has never really, in my opinion, been designed to give consumers the amount of data that they need to actually be successful in life. So what the consumer will do is they'll they'll sign up with JD's company and they'll use the full amount of data that he's required to offer. And when that's gone, they'll transfer their benefit to my company. And then they'll use all of my data for the month. And then they may go to a third company just depending on how much they use. And before Pi removed that uh, requirement, the benefit transfer or the port freeze is what we called it back then. 
a consumer would need to stay with the provider for 90 days and then it dwindled down, I think, to 30. There have been varying policies over the years, but uh, we don't have that at all today. And so we continue to advocate for um, in Lifeline for there to be some sort of port freeze that allows the provider to be able to at least say, I know, even though I have to provide this large amount of data for what we're getting paid, at least we're going to get that subsidy from this consumer for two months, one month, you know, whatever it is. But we've not been super successful. Um, I think this year, there's no change in the minimum service requirements, but I think that's strictly because of the ACP program. I don't know that it's because we've been successful in lobbying. JD, you may disagree with that. Yeah, I, I, well, I, there's probably a couple of answers that you could throw to it because I, I would say we haven't successfully changed anything, but we have successfully paused things, which right. is a win in a way because it, it has allowed carriers to at least maintain the level of service and, and distribution points to a consumer as possible. And you have to understand, these are low-income, rural, um, they may be in uh, health and rehabilitation facilities, they could be in temporary housing, they could be housing challenge. Uh, you may have tribal uh, designated persons or uh, veterans, you know, that that have uh, fallen on hard times, um, or veterans' families that, that lost a member uh, that was in the service. And so there's a wide range of people that you're trying to service. And so having distribution points that are not only available in, in population dense areas, but being able to support a distribution network and means to get out into rural America and to get out into very, you know, population sparse areas, but where a lot of people are going to qualify and need that kind of service. That was a big challenge. And so getting them to pause some of the increases in minimum service standards helped us. The ACP program getting created, um, has definitely also been something that I think has helped because they're, they're first cousins to each other. The Lifeline program and the ACP program have a lot of similarities and they work very well together. And what we find is that a great number of customers like to take their Lifeline benefits and their ACP benefits, uh, benefits, sorry, and combine them and put them on a single device and a single plan, which allows a customer effectively, you know, unlimited talk, unlimited text. You know, anywhere from 10 to 20 something gigs of data, you know, which is a, a really compelling offer for a customer who may be struggling to pay a $40 phone bill every single month or a $20 phone bill or a $10 phone bill. So being able to get the ACP program brought a new level of funding into this space that allowed us to start going back into rural America and back into some of the underserved communities that we just weren't able to touch from 2016 to 2020. And what we're starting to see now is we're, we're having meetings uh, on the Hill and, and with policymakers and decision makers. We are hearing from both Democrats and Republicans that they understand that the Lifeline program is crucial and that the ACP program, despite some of the, the uh, let's say, the growing pains of trying to launch such a large, uh, aggressive program in such a short amount of time, and we applaud everybody that was involved trying to roll that out because that, that was a heavy lift. It has been a success. 15 million people are on that program. And so when you can look at the, the reach that that has given the program and couple that with Lifeline, they've realized that the 925 subsidy that's been in place for, what, 12 years, I think, that's just not plausible anymore. The, the needs of a consumer, the quality of device has changed. It went from being a candy bar phone 10 years ago to being a five and a half inch Android phone with you know, plenty of storage and cameras that 
you could use to do uh, telemedicine. You can use it to uh, update your resumes and job boards. You can use it for your children's schooling because they have uh, hotspots installed on them. There's a lot of things that they can use these devices for today that when they originally set the 925, that was not in the cards. That didn't exist at that time. So we are starting to hear a lot of people realize the 925 is not sufficient. And that the ACP not coming in has allowed us to create a compelling offer that got the type of penetration into that underserved community that they were hoping to do. So we do believe that it's at least being talked about and it's a very open conversation that we're probably going to hear a lot about over the next nine to 12 months uh, from both sides because both sides understand the value of it. They might have different views of how to solve the problem and how they want to get to it. But they both understand it's a problem that needs to be solved. And that that is a huge step in the right direction for us. That's really helpful background. And, and I'd like to talk now about what's going on here in California. Um, this is, uh, you know, obviously, we've got millions of people uh, who are enrolled in both of these programs here. Uh, but I think you mentioned is you have some unique, shall we say, regulatory issues in California. So yeah, can you just give us sort of the high level to to start with, and then and then I want to drill down to some of the specifics of what's going on at the CPC. Sure. So in California, California is one of the states in the United States that offers their own state lifeline subsidy. So if you're a resident of the state of California, you can benefit from the California State Lifeline Program as well as the Federal Lifeline Program. By benefiting from both programs that allows you to um, have access to more voice, more data, more text. It's just combining the two programs together so you can take your subsidy from the state of California and the federal subsidy and combine them together. When um, EBB was the original program before it turned into ACP. So when that program launched, subscribers wanted to be able to use all three of their benefits together. So they were getting a benefit for Lifeline for voice and text and a little bit of data from the state and from the federal program for Lifeline. ACP or EBB and now ACP came along and it added data benefits. So subscribers wanted to combine all three benefits. So in reality, what you could do for a subscriber is that you could give them a tablet if they qualify for a one-time tablet subsidy from the ACP or EBB program, you could give them a tablet and you could give them a handset and you could give them all of their service together. The state of California was fine with doing this during the um, EBB program, but for, um, for ACP, when that launched, they said that if you lived in the state of California and you are receiving California Lifeline subsidy, you could not apply your ACP subsidy to that service. Just again, as an example, if I if I give to a consumer in California a handset and it's got California Lifeline and Federal Lifeline, I can't give them the added benefit of the data from the ACP program because the state of California has said I can't do it. Now, the order for ACP says that you can do it, and that they does kind of give it up, but leaves it to the states to decide how to handle it. But it does say that it's intended for this use. California is the only state in the United States that does this. There are a handful of other states that have state subsidy, but they allow the consumer to combine all of their benefits. Originally, the CPUC said that 
You could combine all your benefits if you were getting wireline data, but not if you were giving wireless data. And we reminded them that that's um, prejudice towards, you know, technology and that they can't do that. So they came back and restated that the way they would do it is that they would say, if you're receiving federal subsidy from Lifeline, you can't also receive the ACP subsidy. So we've been fighting um, TrueConnect company I work for, NALA, uh, JD's company, we've all kind of banded together and we've been battling this with the CPUC now for months. And they had a proposed decision that they were going to vote on to make this um, a regulation to really, you know, concrete it in so we couldn't do this. We were able to get that stopped. And right now they've issued a pilot, what they call a pilot. They want to do a study on this that's going to take over a year. So while they do this study and figure out what's happening, consumers are not able to benefit from all of the subsidy that the government intends them to have simply because the state of California can't get out of its way. Okay. Lot, lot there I, I want to unpack. And, but, <laughs> Sorry. But, yeah, no, that's, that's great. Great to you. And as, as somebody who has appeared before the CPC and on many occasions, I, I wish I could say I've never heard anything as crazy as this, uh, but, I, but I can't say that. So my, my first question is, why do you think the CPC has taken that position? Boy, I, if you can answer that, you know, <laughs> I, I, I would like to know the lottery numbers because there are some things that, that don't make a lot of sense. And um, what I've always found curious is that California has traditionally been very aggressive at making sure that its citizens had access to the programs that they're entitled to. Um, and Lifeline has been an overwhelming success in the state of California. Uh, the amount of customers that are enrolled there, if it's not the highest state, it's the second highest state in total enrollments. And it is one where a lot of our companies have spent the most effort and time uh, because there's so much opportunity and there's a lot of support from the state. For the state to uh, take the stance to no longer be technology uh, agnostic and to go from being exceptionally pro-consumer to exceptionally anti-consumer choice, it's an odd stance for them to take that we ha- we haven't fully wrapped our arms around it. And what we find is that nationwide, close to 90% of the consumers that sign up with Lifeline also choose to combine their ACP uh, service offering with it. So the customer isn't looking for uh, landline internet. You know, imagine being a customer that's in temporary housing. You may not have a computer. <laughs> you may not have a need for a landline service. You may not even have the ability for one to be installed. Uh, there are certain types of buildings that that's not even available in in California. And those customers say, well, fine, give it to me on my wireless service. Up until recently, that was completely fine. And then California, for some reason, kind of changed its stance and said, hey, we, we want these things to be separate. If you want Lifeline, not a problem. You can have it. It's limited. You know, you get unlimited talk, unlimited text, and four and a half gigs of data. And if you want extra data, then you need to do it in a different way. Whereas everywhere else in the country says, hey, you are entitled to both benefits. And if you want both those benefits on a single device and a single plan, that you can maximize the use of the product that you've deemed best for you, go for it. We're all about it. Absolutely. That's what the program is designed to do. But California disagreed. And, and that has been a constant point of contention for the last four or five months. Yeah. So I think that it feels like 
maybe that I can't speak for the PUC, but it feels like they believe that they know better than the consumer what the consumer needs. So they've said the consumer does not need more than six gigs of data. They are making that decision. And they're saying that the ACP program should be used for wireline, not wireless. So they're making that decision. But especially in California, we have so many transient subscribers and so many under-housed subscribers that it doesn't make sense to limit the ACP subsidy to wireline only. I think our consumers know what they need to meet their lifestyle. And even, even the low-income consumer that is in a, in a stable home, they may not be able to afford, to JD's point, the laptop or the router or everything that they need. And if they have to choose, if I'm a single mom and I've got three or four children and I have to choose, well, am I going to have internet just at home or can I have internet on my phone so that when I'm at work and I need to do something, I'm able to? Obviously, you're going to choose what meets your needs best. And nobody knows what you need better than yourself. <laughs> so the CPC, though, feels like they can come in and they can make that decision. And it really, you know, it just feels like kind of that elitist attitude of we know what the poor people need. They don't know. So let us try to take care of them. And, um, you know, it's terrible. And then especially, you know, Gavin Newsom gets up there and talks about bridging the digital divide, but I don't think he understands his own staff in the CPUC is doing more than anybody else to um, widen the digital divide by not allowing the residents to benefit from both of these programs. And these are people that are, for Lifeline, 135% below the federal poverty line. These are not people living particularly blessed abundant lifestyles. These are yeah. people that have fallen on hard times, that are on fixed income, that, that are absolutely needing support. And discretionary income does not exist in many of these customers' worlds. And so for them to say, we don't want them to have this benefit, for them to take advantage of this benefit, they're going to need to go acquire or own a different piece of hardware that would allow them access to it. Uh, it it's it's wrong-headed to put that consumer in that kind of place. And, and I'm sure in that room, as they discuss it, there, there's a reason that they all said, yeah, this makes sense to us. But when we get into the reality of what's happening in the actual consumer that uses this program, it is the absolute wrong decision for that customer. That customer needs the freedom to use services that they're entitled to the way that they need it in their lives. Does taking that position save the state of California money in any way? No. No. And, and that's why that's what I want to draw out here. Yeah, because because I am just I, I don't want to do their work for them in terms of arguing this nonsensical position. But but that can't be it, right? It's not a budgetary reason. No, it's no. federal no. money. This is federal subsidy right. that they're saying the consumer is not able to apply to their or their federal and state lifeline benefits. So it, it just I mean, it's the kind of thing that you might expect. I mean the. Uh, this is the irony, right, is this is the CPUC. They sit in San Francisco. They're in the tech capital of the world. You'd expect them to be more attuned to that. You need know, to maybe understand if an Indiana regulator didn't understand that. But but the idea that regulators sitting in San Francisco can't understand that is is strange. Um, but but you said something there, Danielle, that I, that I want to follow up on because because as you you know rightfully point out, these are Newsom's appointees. They're not quite his staff, but they're, but they're his appointees. And he certainly weighs in on a lot of CPUC proceedings when, when they get to be high profile enough. 
So have you had a chance to discuss this with the administration? What, what do they say? We've, um, we've reached out. We've had, I think that's why we were successful in getting the proposed decision pulled from the vote. So the CPC has come back with this pilot that they want to study. I don't think we have spoken to the governor's office about the pilot itself. I think we're working on a meeting to do just that because all the pilot does is delay this. It pushes it further out. The consumers are the ones that are going to suffer because they're not, you know, they're not getting any, any subsidy. The proposed pilot calls for comments by the end of November and then reply comments by the end of December. So we'll be well into the first quarter of next year before anything happens. If they do approve the pilot and there are some subscribers that are able to benefit from all three subsidies, it'll be like I said that, you know, first quarter of next year before that happens. And we'll be one full year into the launch of ACP with California preventing residents from being able to benefit from this program. This is one of these strange areas where you've got sort of multiple jurisdictions. It's federal money, uh, but the state is preventing implementation of it. So have you, uh, you know, considered or have you had the chance to like go back to the California congressional delegation or, you know, particular federal regulators and say the state is hanging up implementation of this money that you approved and, and thought you were making an impact with? We have yes. taken that. <laughs> Go ahead, JD. Well, I, I would say, you know, uh, I can speak to the conversation we've had um, with Chairwoman uh, Rosenworcel's office, you know, and, and they they understand it. This is a, uh, a situation that they're watching. They, they are trying to understand. They believe that the order uh, is pretty clear that the consumer should have the right to do it. They don't believe the way that it's written should allow uh, the state to supersede uh, the federal program for the customer to be able to utilize. Uh, but they also understand that, you know, this is one of about 10,000 things on her desk. And so, you know, a lot of the guidance right now is, you know, hey, fight it out a little bit, push back, see what kind of headway you can make, and then, you know, circle back to us uh, with an update because it's, it's just not a top priority right now for them uh, because it's not, uh, it's just not pressing enough at the federal level. Uh, considering it's, you know, just one state doing it. I think if this was a concerted effort across all the states to do this, it would, it would be a top, top of the mind issue. But right now it is a fight like hell. Let us know how it's going. We'll talk about it at a later date. And so, um, uh, they're watching, but not intervening quite yet. The California legislature intervene on this. Um, it's, I, it, I, this is getting into sort of a complicated jurisdictional issue, but you've got, you've got this, you've got a state regulatory authority who, I, I mean, is a creature of the legislature theoretically, right? So, you know, is, do, do you see any role for Sacramento in, in trying to move this along? We're exploring all, um, all angles. The campaign that we uh, ran to have the um, PD, the decision, you know, stopped. We used some, you know, some of the legislative contacts that we have to try to, you know, help us get the word out and, and to, you know, discuss it more. Um, we're still going through the proposed decision and deciding how, uh, I'm sorry, not the proposed decision, but the uh, pilot um, and deciding how we're going to answer the questions and how we should support the pilot. So a lot of different options that we have, but as you know, in California, nothing happens quickly. And when they dig their heels in, it's just so hard to, you know, combat. Sure. Okay. So sound, sounds like if people are listening and they want to do something on this, there's a chance to file comments on the pilot. Is that 
correct? Is that is that is that still an open docket? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, if people want to find out more about your organization, find out more about your work, where's the best place for them to go? Uh, the National Lifeline Association uh, website. So that uh, National Lifeline is our our trade group that's representing these consumers, um, handset manufacturers, distribution partners, and carriers, all a member of this uh, out there talking daily about what happens in this program, how to protect it, and how to grow it. So nalalifeline.org. Great. Uh, well, J.D. Daniel, thanks so much for being on the show today. Pleasure, pleasure to have you, and thank you for doing everything you can on this important topic. Thank you for having us. A pleasure. Yes, thank you so much for the time. We invite you to share story ideas, comments, and questions. Find us at NeptuneOps.com or on Twitter at, at NationStateOfP1. Again, that's at NationStateOfP and then the number one. Follow us and subscribe to listen to all of our episodes as we continue to explore the inside stories driving California policy. This is the Nation State of Play podcast. I'm your host, Brian Miller, and thank you for listening. Olas Media.